Please turn in God's Word this morning to Genesis chapter 46. We'll be looking at the end of chapter 46 into chapter 47 this morning as we look at the life of Jacob as he goes down to Egypt, having been invited by Joseph and having heard from the Lord that he ought not to be afraid, but he ought to go down for the Lord was going to be with him and would also bring him up again. As we saw last week, we want to start reading <coughs> in verse 26, just as a, a, a kind of a segue into our, our uh, verses this morning. As Jacob goes down, we want to see uh, who has gone with him, or we want to see the summary of who has gone with him, the numbers. Verse 26 then of Genesis 46, listen to the reading of God's word. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons' wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph who were born to him in Egypt were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen, and and they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians." So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, We've come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now, please, let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. And Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood before him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. They have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. And Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their dependents. 
So far, the reading of God's own holy word. May he teach and instruct us into a greater godliness and glorification of him. Dear people of God, Jacob set out from Beersheba with all that he had. We saw that at the beginning of last chapter, chapter 46, and here in chapter, continuing in chapter 46, verses 8 through 27, which we didn't read, or 8 through 25, which we did not read, were the names of those who had gone with Jacob. And before we get into the passage that we want to consider more closely this morning, I want to think of a few lessons from just those intervening verses, verses 8 through 27. We read 26 and 27, that there were 70 people in all came with Joseph or Jacob. Those are speaking of heads of the home. Uh, first thing we want to note that sticks out to us is the relative smallness of Jacob's family as he's going down into Egypt. It's a relatively small number, and we might think, and we would be uh, easily could lead to this conclusion, that they're going to get swallowed up. Think of, think of a group this size coming into, uh, uh, into a, a giant city uh, today, like New York City or Los Angeles or uh, somewhere overseas. How easily it would be for, for such a group to just simply disappear. And we might think, how are they going to have uh, any hope of survival? Well, we remember, and this is important for us to remember, that it isn't about the numbers so much as it is about the God who is preserving, the God who makes the promises to his people that he will keep them. And he said to Jacob, you will go down, don't be afraid to go down, and you will be brought up again. For I am with you, I will go down with you, I will be with you. That's what we saw through the, the Christmas season, Emmanuel, God with us. He is with us. God promised Abraham, remember years earlier, that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars in the sky. Well, he starts small, but he's able to keep his promises, he's able to do great things. Indeed, the smallness of his people shows that the survival of any people is not due to their number, but to God's grace, due to God's grace and favor. This church is small in the eyes of the world, unnoticed, uh, and yet it can, God can use us mightily. We can do great things as God works in and through us as we commit ourselves to him. How do we keep from being swallowed up? Well, by continually looking to the Lord, remembering what his word says and living that word out, and God then bringing blessing and protection so that we might grow. Remember, God started with Adam and Eve, not a nation, started with a family, started with a home, started with a, a structure. And we see that here. We see how God still sets us up in homes and, and sets us up in, in, in these small uh, places where we can relate together and grow together. He started with Adam and Eve. They sinned and the world seemed doomed, but God had a plan. He would graciously and powerfully create a seed from the woman, Though the seed from the serpent would also remain, there would be this constant, uh, continual conflict for as many years as heaven and earth endure. And yet God would protect. The seed of the woman would not be overcome. He would protect and preserve a people for his glory. So note that God can keep even small numbers. Indeed, he does so for his glory. Second notice 
the unity that he gave this family. Remember how much these, these brothers were arguing from, from the time that we meet them, from the time we, we first hear of them. They're squabbling about this and that, and they don't like Joseph, and they can't decide what they're going to do with him when they see him coming from a distance, and they argue over it and end up selling him into, into slavery, into Egypt. And yet now, what do we see? We see Jacob and his whole family uh, miraculously unified as they're, as they're all agreed. We're not going to stay in Canaan. We're going to go down to Egypt. Now we think, well, yeah, well, that's just what they did. That's what the Bible tells us they did. But we know how challenging that can be, how hard it can be for everyone to, to be moving in the same direction. Unity is a gift from God that they would go together. As we just sung, how beautiful when the children of God dwell together in unity, where that unity is seen, we can be sure God's blessing is there. It doesn't just happen. We all have uh, different notions, different ideas, and what unites us then is God's, God's purpose and God's plan in the Lord Jesus Christ. And here in this plan for his people, he unites these former quarrelsome people and brings them down together into Egypt as a church. We show ourselves to be a body with Christ as the head. We are those who are a family, those who are united in Christ, and we serve Him and we listen to His voice. We use our individual gifts and and our different uh, ways and perspectives all come together to, to make a multifaceted and beautiful body as we together seek to live for God, using our individual gifts for the common good. A witness to the world of God's unifying grace where there is such polarization and separation. Jacob's family was to live this way in a foreign land. Something we notice here as well. He's li- they're going to live this way in a, in a foreign land. And they don't flee from this command. They don't stay behind, but they go forth with God and settle down. They lived among unbelievers, but were committing themselves to live for God. They had a double D defense. I was trying to think of a way to put this so we can kind of think about what to take with us this morning, what, what they had. Well, they had doctrine and they had duty. They understood who God was. They understood what, what, uh, he, was, uh, what he had promised to them through their forefathers. And then they knew their duty, how they were to live, how they were to to act, and that's what we need as we live in this in this world of so as we sojourn a double D defense, doctrine and duty. It's very easy for us to to get away from that. We we chafe against order and structure, and we 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 don't appreciate perhaps our creeds and confessions and our 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 instruction that is there for us, laid out for us in a way that is. Uh, uh, summarizing in Scripture, as we're going to see tonight as we uh, begin a study once again in the Heidelberg Catechism. But without that, without these, the, the structure, we, 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 we go astray and we, we kind of lose our way. I was thinking about that just yesterday. Things get canceled because of weather and we're, we kind of have it all, our structure all laid out, our, our, our plans laid out, and then, and then that goes by the wayside and we kind of get at loose ends and we try to find something that's going to fill the gap, so to speak. And it was, just, it was just kind of a small 
uh, uh, way to me, a reminder to me that when we don't walk in that way that God has given, we can quickly become at, at loose ends. And we think, well, now, now what am I supposed to do? And we find all kinds of things that we, we, we might want to do, but which are not, not necessarily helpful for us. So we want to be united around God's word, to learn God's word, to hide it in our hearts, that we would take the truth about God opening his word in our homes and as we worship in church and in our schools, that we would act on that doctrine. Doctrine is important. Knowing true doctrine helps us to identify the lie. It helps us to identify how we are to live. It leads to right practice. We study the word at home. We listen carefully to the church and review the sermon. We become involved in our schools, encouraging the school to teach about God. These are necessary and good things. We don't want to just aimlessly move forward. Now, this event in the life of Jacob and his family gives us opportunity to think again about how to live. We evaluate our lives as we make decisions together. How are we moving forward? We should do that every day. We should be evaluating our lives every day to walk humbly before God, to be boasting in the Lord Jesus Christ, and to be declaring that our hope for the future is in, in God, our faithful God. Well, that then, by way of looking at those opening verses and thinking about what a, what a process this must have been to take that family down to Egypt, then Secondly, looking at the surprising reception that happens once they get into uh, Egypt and, and thinking about what that might have to teach us this morning. Jacob goes down to Egypt and he receives surprising reception. And why do I say surprising reception from Joseph in particular? Well, because Joseph's made it, right? Joseph's there. He's got power. He's got authority. He's got a family now. He's, he's kind of, he could easily say, well, I've, I've moved on. Canaan is so much a part of my past, I can... I can hardly remember it. And now I have, I have what, I, what I think that the world tells me is, is everything. I've got everything. But he does not reject his family. Remember, he asked about his father. Each time his brothers came down and stood before him, he didn't move on. Nor was he seeking revenge when his brothers came to him though they did him great harm. Instead, he says, I'm going to set you up in Egypt. I've been sent ahead of you to deliver, to set you up. And that's, that's the gospel, dear people of God. When, when Christ says, I, I know what you've done. I, I know what you've said. I, I know your thoughts. I know your ways. And yet I've prepared a place for you. And I'm coming to take you to be with me where I am. And that should shock us. We should say, that's amazing grace. Not just, well, yeah, that's run-of-the-mill, everyday grace. God's kind of, that's what he does. It should shock us and lead us to be stunned at this surprising reception that we receive from the Lord Jesus Christ. How does this situation strike you particularly? How many times haven't we heard of of a child who, who makes it and, and, and moves away from his family, moves on and kind of acts like a self-made man. And the family has no part to play in his, in his bio. He doesn't talk about his father and mother and, and family as he's grown up. He's simply, that's something that's done. It's over with. It's just something I couldn't wait to get out of. 
so stifling we might hear. Well, children, young people, young marrieds, what is, we know what the Bible says about how we're to re- look at our parents. We're to honor our parents. Honor your father and mother. Now, as young marrieds, yes, you move on. You establish a home of your own, and there's a different relationship, but you still are speaking in a way that in which you honor your parents. It's our nature, however, to resist authority, to resent it, really. But God says that we're to repent of the sinful thought that sees authority as the problem, especially fathers and mothers to say, oh, I just couldn't wait to get out of there. Oh, no, in fact, we recognize that God gives parents the blessing to us. Parents aren't perfect and neither are you, right? We recognize that. We remember that. We can give thanks in difficulty if indeed we have had that and know that and think back upon those hard times. We can yet give thanks that we had a a place in parents. We give thanks for godly parents who sacrifice for us, who love us, who teach us the way that we should go. We should not see parents as that hurdle, that roadblock to personal happiness that we just couldn't wait to get away from. Remember, we're all under authority. We learn about God's authority as we, learn, as we live under authority. That's so foreign today. People just say, I don't, I, 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 we don't need authority. The less government, the better. The less, less authority over us, the better. And yet, that government is better than anarchy. Better than being left to ourselves. It's a, that's a Genesis 6 scenario where God looks down and sees that they're only, the thoughts that they have are only evil all the time. Well, Jacob certainly was not a perfect father, but he was honored by Joseph and the brothers to a certain measure here as they listen to him and as they go with him. Pray for your parents. Pray for authority to be exercised in a God-honoring way and show how you are living under God's authority as you Respond in that God-honoring way to those over you. Joseph had assured his brothers that he was not out to get them. His desire was to have his desire to have them near him as a testament to his forgiving and loving heart. So we've seen Joseph in relation to his father and family and extended family, but now to his brothers, he's forgiven them. Well, what do I covenant to do when I? covenant to forgive someone. I've mentioned this before. These are words from Ken Sandy in his book, The Peacemaker. He says, when I forgive someone with God's help, I make these promises. There's four promises. I will no longer dwell on the incident. I will not bring up this incident again and use it against the other person. I will not talk to others about this incident. I will not allow the past to stand between us or to hinder our personal relationship. There's, there's a lot going on there, and I'm not going to unpack that this morning, but I just I give that to you as, as, as something to think about and dwell on as you, as you think about forgiving, to not hold against people the things that they've done against you. Think of, think of how Jesus lived and loved his own, though there were, was denial in there, there was betrayal in his lifetime. It was It is because of his redeeming work that we can be forgiven and that we can forgive. 
Dearly beloved, be imitators of God. Forgive just as God forgave you in Christ, Paul says in Ephesians. That's how we act. That's how we live because we're made new. God's working in us. He's changing us. But for the grace of God, I would be that person who's acting out in that ungodly way or that sinful way. That's who we are. If we could, our hearts could be revealed today, we would be shown to be as much in need of God's grace as those outside of these four walls. Ask yourself, what kind of brother, sister am I? What kind of sibling am I? What kind of co-worker am I? Do I act sinfully toward other people? And should I be afraid if someone was in a position to, to uh, take action against me that they would have reason to because I'm acting so poorly, acting so sinfully? Don't be that person. Don't be that kind of person. Ask God to change you and to, to reflect upon Joseph's attitude here as God has been working in and through him and as God works in through you. By his spirit, act lovingly and patiently toward family, toward those around you. Remember that Christ came to earth to reconcile you to God and to one another. We hear that in Lord's Supper, right? To bring us to peace. Pharaoh's reception is surprising as well. Joseph's reception of his family, and now Pharaoh's reception of Jacob and his family is surprising. It's not what we would expect. You see, Egyptians saw shepherds as an abomination. The Hebrew shepherds sacrificed animals that they saw as sacred. They would say that they're blaspheming. They're, They're carrying out actions against our gods. We don't want to have anything to do with them. In fact, we wish they were gone. We we want to remove them from us. Well, here now Pharaoh is is welcoming this band of Hebrews. It's rather unexpected. We would think he'd want nothing to do with them. And yet, in God's working, he receives this family. God is at work settling his people here. He even says to to Joseph, if you can find those who are trustworthy to take care of my livestock, let them do that. I thought about what that, what, what, what's that saying. It says something about Joseph, doesn't it? <clears throat> Pharaoh so trusted Joseph that when those who came who were connected to him, he, he thought, well, if they're anything like Joseph, they can, they can have whatever, whatever's in my possession. I trust them wholeheartedly. That's, that's stunning. Joseph's witness was something uh, that, that we should think upon and reflect upon. Can, can people say, well, people say that about us. I've never forgotten that that description of the disciples in the book of Acts when they're standing before their accusers. And it says there that what they noted, what the accusers noted was that they had been with Jesus. That is quite an identification. Would people accuse you of that when they see your life, when they hear you speak and act? Would they say, I think they really believe that. I think they really believe have been with Jesus. I think, I think they're changed. Well, here, Pharaoh says, if they're connected to Joseph, if they're, if they're connected with him, then, then I'm, I'm okay with, with their overseeing my livestock. And 
being entrusted with some of my possessions. Well, as Christians, that's how we ought to speak and act. That people would say, they're, they're, can tell they've been with Jesus. Now, increasingly, Christians are misrepresented today, and lies are spoken, and we have a, a great challenge before us to disavow people of those things and say, no, it's not like that. They're, they're, we're, told, we're, we're identified as those who hate certain people, who, who despise certain, certain people and wish certain people just didn't exist and so on. We're to be those who, who speak the word of God lovingly, compassionately, unapologetically, telling people where to find life and freedom from sin and from the grip that it has upon us. We will suffer for doing good, but we are to count it all joy when we suffer for Christ. We're warned by Peter not to suffer for doing evil. Don't, don't, don't suffer for doing, when you suffer for doing something evil, that, that, that's to be expected. But, but if you suffer for doing good, if we're doing good, then rejoice that you have been counted worthy to represent Christ in that way and to suffer for him. Pharaoh is told that Jacob and his family are uh, sojourners, they're shepherds, and the point there being Joseph saying that that, that way they're, they're allowed to stay in that more remote place and Pharaoh doesn't have to fear that there's going to be a rebellion. They're not there to grab power. They're not there to, to, to somehow set on the land and establish a, a foothold and, and to take over from that, uh, making attacks from that distant place. No, in fact, they're, they're sojourners. They're not there uh, to, to destroy. Well, brothers and sisters, our interest in, in this world is not for the halls of power, for notoriety, for, for people to bow down to us, but to rather make much of the Lord Jesus Christ to proclaim his kingdom and the, the ethics of his kingdom and the, the truths that God would have us to proclaim that people might hear of Christ, that they might repent of their sin, believe, and have eternal life. So, and this we see, all, uh, all this surprising reception. And then we, we look lastly this morning at a, a revealing blessing. Joseph introduces his father to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's question is, how many are the days of the years of your life? Now, we often ask that today, don't we? Someone gets to be 100 or, or more and we want to know, what is it? What, how, how, many, how long have you been alive? And Jacob's response is rather surprising. He says, my days have been few and evil. Well, that's rather strange response. Few and evil? I'm 130 and my days have been few. And they've been evil. Now, the pharaohs believe that one who lived a, a long life must have been somehow pleasing to the gods and... So Pharaoh wants to know, Jacob, what's your secret? How did, how, how did you get so, how are you so blessed? How is it that you lived such a long time? And Jacob says, well, it's not because I've been good. <laughs> Indeed, my days are few when compared with the God whom I serve. My life is but a vapor, a mist. And my days have been evil. 
I can't say that I've earned these days as though I've done some good that God's now rewarding me, saying, well, he's, he's such an amazing person. I'm going to continue to give him more days. So what is it when people ask that today? How did you, what's your secret? Well, it's usually not related to, I want to know, how has God blessed you? It's usually, well, what, what diet do you, are you on? What, what secret, what, what tips, what kind of exercise program are you on and, and, and so that I can live longer? Jacob and we ourselves would say, our days are, are marked by evil. We're not proud of how we live. We don't earn our days by good behavior. Each day is a gift from God And we're told how we are to measure them. We're to pray, teach us, O God, to measure our days in a way that is right. Help us to live for you. We look to him for the grace to do that. But interestingly, Jacob stands before Pharaoh and he blesses him. Not once, but twice. It's instructive for us. It's instructive because we would expect the greater to bless the lesser. And here, by all visuals, it would seem like the lesser is blessing the greater. Pharaoh's wealthy and well-established. And here's Jacob, a sojourner with some, with some animals, and he comes and he blesses Pharaoh. Now, some scholars want to argue that this was nothing more than a greeting, but blessings in Genesis are not mere greetings. It's too, too dismissive to come to that conclusion. No, God is saying that Jacob is greater, the greater of the two, by his grace. Only by his grace. Remember what God said, the descendants of Abraham would bless the nations. Though Pharaoh had earthly splendor, Jacob was hoping that he would know the greater blessing that God would have for him. That is to walk with him, to know him as his God. We read that invocation in the Bible, may the one true God bless you and keep you. And the truth is, without that, the afterlife is frightening. The eternity that we will experience is frightening, apart from God. The pharaohs, how did they do it? They were buried with their treasures. You know, you've seen the movies, Indiana Jones and all the rest. They were buried with their treasure with hopes that, that their treasure was going to somehow uh, secure their afterlife. And really, the only thing that happens with that treasure is it's there for a treasure hunter to dig up and put in a museum somewhere. It doesn't do them any good. It doesn't settle them in the afterlife. It doesn't secure them. Rather, it sits there can't take it with them. Well, the believer, in turn, has a treasure that he can share that goes with the person when they die. A blessing from God. And he says, if you believe in me, though you die, yet you shall live. We are to tell others that they can know many days if they turn to the one true God I believe that's what's happening here with Jacob to Pharaoh. He's telling Pharaoh where the blessing can be found. And that's, that's how we are to live in the world. We're to point people 
to God for life. We don't say, well, here's what I did to live so long. I've done this and this and this. I've done it all, all right. That's how, the, that's how the Pharisee would speak and say, well, you know, I kept all my, my dietary laws and I kept all my rules and I was a good, good boy and, and therefore I, I got here a good girl and that's therefore I established my, my life and put it in good order. No, we say God is gracious and God is merciful. And these days are few when compared with the eternity to come. Therefore, turn to the Lord who can provide blessing forever. Can the church, thinking about it now in our terms, can the church, which seems so small and at times quarrelsome, really bless the world? Yes. In this sense, we can take the message of life to the world. We can show the world what it looks like to be unified, to what it, what it, what it looks like to be blessed. To, to set our priorities straight, to think about and to practice that which God has created us for. Or to talk about the grace of God, not of earning his favor, but of receiving it freely from his hand. Coming to him humbly and asking and receiving from him what only he can give. We don't know how long these two talked. Perhaps it was a short time, but I would imagine that it was a bit longer than than what we have recorded here. Jacob telling his story, and before he leaves, he blesses him when he comes in. Before he leaves, he blesses Pharaoh again. And we're surprised by that because God is allowing blessing to be extended to a, a leader of a foreign land who later would be such a an enslaver of his people, such a one who is so harsh, persecutor of his people, that God can bless whoever he determines to bless. We don't know what that led to in the life of Pharaoh, but just those words being announced. Jacob goes down to sojourn in this foreign land. He's a witness to God there as he's been a witness back home. Remember how when he returns to the land, he, he worships God. When he's, before he's going to Egypt, he worships God with his whole family. That's, that's instructive for us. In our homes, we worship. And then as we go out, we worship God. These, these points are all through this narrative so that we might, God might be telling us how we are to live through the lives before us. Jacob was not a perfect man, but he was one who was used by God. We are not perfect people, but we can be used by God as we submit to him. When the Son of God came to earth, he came to announce blessing to the nations. He came. He was that blessing. He didn't say all people everywhere were going to be saved. He, would say, he said this, I've come to, to, to die for my people, for the church, for those whom God has appointed But he says the word goes to the ends of the earth and to all who believe there is salvation. True life is not found in earthly riches. Indeed, Jacob, in that sense of richness, as we understand it in a deeper meaning, is richer than Pharaoh. He knows the Lord. His days are few, but what he has set before him is an eternity with the Lord. He sojourns, and we sojourn as we look ahead to the city that's prepared for us, the city whose architect and builder is God. And we're to be those who don't hesitate to speak of that city. There's always room for more. 
And it just may be that someone you least expect to hear the message and believe might come and hear and believe. May God give us courage to speak, prepare them for that coming day. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we look at the life of one of your saints, we can see so much that is hard to look at. Indeed, we might say to ourselves, boy, I can't believe how Jacob could have done that. And yet, it's only because we've forgotten at times how gracious you are to us. Then we can see in the life of Jacob these more noble sentiments and say, yeah, that's, that's who I am. That's what I do. Lord, help us to have a humble assessment of ourselves, a realistic awareness or an awareness of our need for you. We pray that we would, as a body of believers and as individuals who make up the body, be faithful, seeking to point people to you and not to ourselves. We thank you, dear Father, for the forgiveness of our sins in Christ, that in him we have blessing now and forever. May we move forward courageously to tell others that they too might repent and believe. Here as we pray for Jesus' sake, amen.